This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where we have just four days of peace and tranquility left before the start of the legislative session. The Florida Chamber of Commerce issues its economic forecast for the new year. They're predicting 200,000 new jobs will be created and 320,000 new residents will move to the Sunshine State. The state Supreme Court says a constitutional amendment to deregulate the energy industry in Florida cannot appear on the ballot in November. It's a major win for the utilities and big business in general. Speaking of constitutional amendments, our guest today for the Sunrise interview is pollster Steve Vancor. We'll be talking about some of the propositions that still have a chance of making the ballot this year. The League of Cities unveils its list of priorities in the upcoming legislative session. You can sum it all up with two words, home rule. And the next Speaker of the House files a bill to ban insurance companies from using your genetic information. We'll also have your calendar of political events and our Florida Man segment today includes a homeless man who tried to hack his way out of jail by impersonating a prosecutor online. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, January 10th. The Florida Chamber of Commerce is bullish on the state economy. They've just released their economic forecast for 2020, and Chamber President Mark Wilson says it's looking pretty good. Bottom line, I think if Florida was a stock, it would be a strong buy. Uh, our fundamentals are strong. Uh, 200,000 new jobs we're predicting in 2020. 320,000 more residents uh, we're predicting. We're in the top 20 most diversified economies in the United States, and we're the 17th largest economy in the world. Of course, there's always a downside to these forecasts. The chamber's in-house economist, Dr. Jerry Parrish, says there's a one in five chance of a recession in Florida sometime this year. Florida's probability of recession over the next nine months is 21.2%. This indicator has declined steadily since hitting a yearly high in September 2019, when it was at 38.1%. The drop in the probability of a Florida recession is in large part due to no longer having an inversion in the interest rate yield spread and also due to an increase in Florida's consumer sentiment. While there's not much of a chance of recession, Parrish says they are concerned about Amendment 2 on the November ballot, which would gradually increase the minimum wage in Florida until it reaches 15 bucks an hour in 2026. The big threat I see coming that will affect Florida's economy is the impact that a $15 minimum wage would have on our state. No state has ever passed a public rec referendum raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour. Increases in minimum wage sound like a good idea to many people. But what happens in a lot of cases is that it ultimately hurts the very people its supporters claim that it will help. Many people get cut from full-time down to part-time hours and they lose their benefits. There are also definitely jobs lost and some businesses will definitely close. And Wilson says there are plenty of other potential problems for business besides that minimum wage proposition. Florida's economy is at a crossroads. Many things are going right, but there are a few clouds, storm clouds on the horizon as well. Like, for example, the $15 mandated minimum wage in Florida. That's not good. The conversation about eliminating our tourism marketing agency. That's not good. And look what's going on around the world with geopolitical issues. That can impact Florida. And of course, Florida's broken lawsuit abuse problem. The national reports say that Florida has a long way to go to improve here, that we're at the bottom almost. We have the fifth worst legal climate in America. There's a growing momentum to fix this. Florida shouldn't be fifth worst. We should be in the top 10 when it comes to legal climate. One thing to bear in mind as you consider the chamber's wish list and their 2020 agenda, what is good for business isn't necessarily good for people. 
Speaking of good for business, the Energy Choice Amendment has been removed from the 2020 ballot by the Florida Supreme Court. The official title of that proposition is Right to Competitive Energy Market for Customers of Investor-Owned Utilities Allowing Energy Choice. However, the high court says it cannot be on the ballot because the summary is misleading. The ballot summary tells voters the amendment grants a personal right to sell electricity, and the court says it does no such thing. The group behind this amendment, Citizens for Energy Choice, spent somewhere in the neighborhood of $6 million on the campaign and almost had enough signatures to qualify for the ballot. Turns out it was all for naught. The decision is a huge win for the state's investor-owned utilities and for big business lobby groups like the Florida Chamber and Associated Industries. The amendment had also been opposed by the Urban League and the Florida League of Cities. Speaking of which, the League of Cities has just unveiled its list of priorities for the upcoming legislative session. They're basically asking lawmakers to stop preempting their authority. The group's overall goal this year is to defend the concept of home rule. They want the right to regulate short-term rentals like Airbnb to make sure they comply with local zoning and occupancy rules. They want lawmakers to do more to protect the state's water supply. They want the right to regulate medical marijuana dispensaries, and they're asking lawmakers to stop rating the trust fund for affordable housing and actually use that money for affordable housing. But the bottom line for the League is they want the legislature to stay off their toes and recognize local control of local issues. The man who takes over as Speaker of the Florida House after next year's election files a bill to ban insurance companies from using your genetic information to cancel, limit, or deny life insurance policies or long-term care coverage. Representative Chris Sprouls of Palm Harbor, who is a cancer survivor, told the News Service of Florida there is nothing greater for your privacy than your own genetic code, and giving that information to insurance companies is bad public policy. If his bill becomes law, Florida will become the first state in the nation to prohibit life insurance and long-term care insurance companies from using the information. A spokesman for the American Council of Life Insurers claims the bill will disrupt the insurance market and raise prices for consumers. Next up on the Sunrise Interview, we talk with our resident pollster and political wonk, Steve Vancor, about some of the constitutional amendments that could end up on the ballot this year. This is Sunrise from Florida Politics. We all know that guy who says he knew Trump was going to win long before election night. Had he known about Predict It, he could have put his money where his mouth was and made a little extra cash in the process. Predict It is like the stock market for politics. You can buy and sell shares in future events and elections, both foreign and domestic. During the 2018 midterms, Predict It beat other national pollsters like Nate Silver in election night predictions, and it wasn't even close. It's easy and only costs a few bucks to get started. Sunrise listeners can get a special introductory offer by visiting predictit.org slash promo slash F-L-A-P-O-L. Welcome back to Sunrise. Our guest today is Steve Vancour, our resident poll expert. And today we're calling on him for constitutional wisdom. <laughs> because, frankly, we're tired of talking about the legislature. Well, they're only changing law. Yeah. These people are seeking to change our constitution. The fundamental document of <laughs> government in Florida. And there's been a lot of action on this this week. Not just the medical marijuana amendment, but also the, well, we have the minimum wage thing that's going on. As yeah, last two. we spoke, minimum wage is now officially on the ballot. It's, it made the last hurdle, which is to get through the Supreme Court. Supreme Court ruled. And, and it was interesting about the ruling was they ruled in bounds. What I mean by that is they didn't create any new law. They didn't go out crazy. They, they no, Nobody opposed it. So, But they, they crafted a, a, a easy, easy to understand, easy to read uh, policy. And so now ballot item number two will be minimum wage. That could be the first item, but there's still another one that's going to get ruled on that would be number one. Remember, they number them based on who gets the 766-200 first, right? So the first one is the uh, 
you have to be a citizen in order to vote. Which uh, is already in the Constitution. It's already in the Constitution. Somebody decided to spend $7 million and gather over 900,000 signatures to wordsmith the Constitution. Must be nice to have that kind of money just lying around. <laughs> they saw a comma at a place, and they figured, we need to fix that. Gotcha. Also, the big action today was on the medical marijuana amendment. The Monday night, I think, the House, the Senate, the Chamber of Commerce, and every other establishment group here in Tallahassee dropped off filings at the Supreme Court. They all opposed the medical marijuana amendment for a variety of reasons. What's going on with that? Well, that, that one's kind of interesting. As, as we last talked, and, and still— you know, we said we thought they were going to fall short of the February 1st deadline. You did make that prediction months ago. Yeah, and right now they're about a third of the way there, but they still have an astonishing 500,000 signatures to get through the process by the end of January. There's, I'll say this, there's no way they're going to make it. And they have basically conceded they're not going to make it. And they made it, to answer your question more directly, they made that concession in their lawsuit. They're asking the courts, they're saying, look, court, uh, the process put in place since House Bill 5 has impeded our ability to get these signatures through the process. And we need to, they're asking the court for many things, but they're asking for two main things. One, a 30-day reprieve saying, let us collect through the end of January and whatever they count should count towards it. And there shouldn't be a deadline of February 1st to get through the system. So they're functionally asking for a 30-day extension. And then, you know, it's a 55-page motion, so it's a lot of stuff in there. But they're asking functionally to be to have House Bill 5 declared unconstitutional. Uh, it's really a hard read. It's got a lot of different issues in it. But one thing that struck me, uh, Rick, is, you know, they had 33 days left in the cycle. Okay, and they did not, for whatever reason, did not ask for an emergency hearing to enjoin the bill because this gives the defense and they did it through a class action, a defense class action. So the court has to certify the class and then they get 20 days. So they're burning 20 days of their 33 uh, which makes much sense Just to, this, procedural to this thing. Novel. Procedural yeah. thing, yeah. Come in there with a clean, clear argument, snipe it, hit it hard, and say we, we need to be have this heard on Monday, and and at least get an injunction. What I what I think is within the reality of what they could get. Now, I, as you know, I'm no lawyer, but it seems to me a harmless thing that the court could say, look, let's keep counting. But, and then we'll, we'll force, even after the January thirty or after the February first deadline. February first deadline. Keep counting, but don't count them yet. In other words, let's see what you get, and then let's deal with the larger issues because it's going. As you said, the chamber and others, the sec uh, attorney general, have all weighed in on this suit, saying, "Nah, uh we think House Bill Five is constitutional." Judge, you got a lot of issues to make here, a lot of a lot of decisions to make, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of points to consider back and forth. And a judge isn't going to be able to do that in a week and a half, not with the current caseloads they have. So there seems to be no harm in letting them get their toll. And then if it's declared unconstitutional, at least we know how many signatures they got. But by the way, Rick, even if they get the 30 days, I want to give you one number. Okay. Right now, in the last two weeks, they're averaging 4,500 a day through the process. Which sounds impressive, but... if Even if they get the extension, they have to more than double that rate. Okay. So now if they sat on five or 600,000 and then dumped them in late, maybe that's going to happen. But that even seems unlikely at this point. Okay. So what's the most likely outcome, do you think? Oh, boy. 
My my guess is the judge gives them the 30 until uh, the judge can decide whether or not they have merit in getting the 30 and keeping the 30. But remember, at the state court level, when you get appealed, the state court is stayed usually until the appellate court makes its decision. This is a very tough first DCA. Most observers would say the first DCA is not going to be kind to these petition gatherers, okay? They're going to be more kind to the state. Now, had they filed at the federal court and won at the federal court, one of the big differences in federal court is the presumption that if a federal court ruled, the default is that ruling stands unless and until an appeals court overturns it. So that would have been to more to their advantage. And I think there's two judges up there, Judge Hinkle, Judge um, Walker, who w- have shown a history in recent years of being more friendly to petitions like this. But did they really have a federal issue? I mean, wasn't this a state issue? No, I think they have a federal issue. The, the You have a federal issue as long as our state constitution says you have a right to petition your government. When you marry that with the First Amendment right to petition your government, you have a First Amendment cause of action. And you could say that the accumulation of other laws in House Bill Five has taken away your right to petition your government or severely hindered it. You have a, a federal constitutional right to petition your government. And in the Florida Constitution, it says that right is manifest through the petition process. Okay? Right. So you combine those two, you do have a federal cause. Okay. The, the thing that struck me about, of all the marijuana amendments, this is the one that probably had the least support from average people on the street because it keeps the system. It gives it a lock monopoly to the businesses that are already there, and it does not allow home grow. And yet that's the only one that even has a chance at this point. Yeah, yeah. That, that, you know, it's interesting because the folks who ran out of time and money who had the first, you know, version one of make it legal, um, theirs was a full make it, make it legal kind of thing. And they did not endorse this. And so, and it's being funded by two of the licensees, and uh, I, you know, I, I, you make a good point there, but it doesn't go all the way. Now, the question would be, could you go all the way in the Florida Constitution? Can you put something in the Florida Constitution that violates, completely violates federal law? I don't know the answer to that. Because remember, the court only looks at it now for single subject and related issues. You could put on the Constitution that short people can't vote uh, through citizen petition drive. If you get enough votes, somebody would then have to challenge it on other grounds after it's in the Constitution. And well, people have. I can't wait to see that sort of thing in the future. <laughs> so is there, Being six foot four yourself. Yeah, well, I'll, I want to see the, you know, ban the tall people from voting. Yeah. That would be a nice change of Well, we currently there. have banned independents from voting. So. Uh, I, I'm also <laughs> one of those. Yeah, exactly. So are there any other amendments you think have a chance of making it on the ballot? Well, of course, speaking of that, the all voters vote, open primaries amendment, um, you know, they we, as you know, I'm working on that initiative. Yep. It's been a passion of mine for five years, letting all voters vote, uh, registered, qualified voters vote in the process in elections that matter. But the uh, we've got more than enough signatures, and we, we made sure we had more than 10,000, more than enough, to, so we don't have any of these issues. Uh, our hearings before the court, I believe, went well, but you can never say one thing or another. I will quote, though, uh, the person who's been speaking the most against it, a Republican Party chair, Senator Gruder's good guy. Uh, but he, he said to a group in Sarasota the other day, he's fairly confident the court's going to approve us as well. So that was good news. Okay. So I think that and that's going to be Amendment 3. 
Amendment number three. All right, we will watch for that. And just just as we close out, got anything uh, on the fire for the session, or do you just want to ignore? Oh that? my gosh, yeah, yeah. I'm drinking from a fire hose, but it's a fun <laughs> fire hose to drink from. You know, we're we're like that tourist town that doesn't like the tourists. Everybody rolls our oh, the session's coming into town, but yeah, we all make a good living from it. So I'm um, I'm happy to welcome into town. Gotcha. Our guest today, Steve Van Core, resident political expert here and pollster extraordinaire. Thanks for joining us, Steve. <laughs> Thanks, Rick. Your calendar of events today starts with a 9 a.m. meeting of the Revenue Estimating Conference in Tallahassee. They'll be putting a price tag on some of the bills filed for the upcoming session. The Florida Developmental Disabilities Council is meeting in Orange County beginning at 9 at the Florida Hotel and Conference Center in Orlando. At 10 this morning at the Hard Rock Stadium in Sunrise, it's the kickoff of the 2020 Python Bowl. It's part of the state's campaign to eliminate pythons that threaten native critters in the glades, and it's part of the official celebration of the Super Bowl. The Python Bowl is part of the festivities surrounding the Super Bowl, which is being held in South Florida this year. At noon, the U.S. Department of Agriculture is scheduled to release a forecast of the 2019-2020 citrus growing season. State political candidates, committees, and parties face a Friday deadline to file reports detailing their financial activities through the end of the year. And on Saturday, the Florida Supreme Court Judicial Nominating Commission will start two days of interviewing applicants for two open seats on the high court. The commission is scheduled to interview 32 applicants, 18 of them on the first day. It starts at 9 a.m. at the Hyatt Regency Orlando International Airport. And it's time once again for the continuing misadventures of Florida Man, the superhero we don't need but probably deserve. A 37-year-old Florida man who was using his metal detector on the sands of Vero Beach made an historic find this week, an old landmine. He didn't know what it was at first, which may explain why he dug it out with his bare hands. The Indian River Sheriff's Office called out the explosives experts from Patrick Air Force Base to get rid of it. That landmine may be a leftover from World War II. An area near where the mine was found used to be called the Fort Pierce Naval Amphibious Training Base. It was used as a training area before the D-Day invasions at Normandy. And a Florida man accused of threatening to extort a Chevy dealer in Daytona Beach came up with a unique way to try to beat the charges. Investigators say 47-year-old Christian Mosco obtained the names and Florida bar numbers of two prosecutors and then used the Florida court's e-filing portal to submit a bogus document in his case file dismissing the charges. An employee in the court clerk's office thought it was suspicious because the document used the wrong terms to dismiss charges. So in addition to the extortion charge, Mosco is now charged with six additional felonies, including impersonating a prosecutor, practicing law without authority, fraudulent use of ID, fraudulently acting as a state attorney, and forgery. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again on Monday as we say so long to sanity and hello to the legislative session that begins on Tuesday.